But we'll let the kids be dismissed. We've got a good group of kids going out. That's great. Good group of kids. Look at them all. That's awesome. So make sure you thank the children's workers when you pick up the kids. Amen? Make sure you thank them. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. I trust you, Lord willing, had a good week. It's a beautiful day. Uh, we want to welcome each and every one of you. We're in a series on the Beatitudes. And we're going to pick up in just a moment in verse number 8. Matthew chapter 5 will be in verse number 8. Um, we're going to be speaking about being pure in heart and what does that look like and what does that mean. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said. Matthew 5, verse number 8. Just follow along with me. We won't, for the sake of time, read the entire uh, Beatitudes here, but each week we've been studying one of the Beatitudes um, in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse number 8, he says this, Blessed are the pure in heart. Now let that sink in. Blessed are the pure in heart. What's the promise? For they shall what? For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I believe uh, Jesus is giving us, each one of these has a deeper meaning, obviously. I believe Jesus is giving us the key to fellowship in seeing God. Do we truly, do we see God in the everyday aspects of life? Do we see God as we get up each day and we live each day, is, is God present in our lives? You know, many times I've talked with people and people say, I, I feel as though God is so distant. I sometimes wonder, is God hearing my prayers? Does God see me? God seems so distant. Jesus said, blessed or happy, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The key to fellowship. Are you ready for this this morning? Are we ready? You want me to bring it this morning? Because I'm actually going to say some things that you're going to say, I've heard the opposite, okay? But I want you to bear with me. Can you do that? You ready for the word this morning? So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bless His word. Lord, I pray you bless your word. How important this is. Oh, I pray that we truly would desire to see God, to know you, to hunger and thirst after you. But your word says, blessed, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for then they shall see God. The key to fellowship is being pure of heart. And so we pray that you would bless, Lord, your word. Help us to understand what it is that your word is revealing to us. Bless your word. May your Holy Spirit help me. I pray that we would be receptive. Even if we hear some things that may be it's contrary to what we've always thought. May we submit to the word of God. And I do pray that by the time we leave here in a few moments that we would be overwhelmed with the amazing grace of God in our lives. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's a little bit more serious topic. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does this mean? To be clean of heart. Me emphasize again, these beatitudes are all about the attitude, what's going on in the inside, what's happening on the inside. You know, um, even when Jesus was dealing with people, a lot of people on the outside, they looked good. 
Remember what he said about the Pharisees? He said, you are like whited sepulchers, right? He said, on the outside, you look clean, you look white. But what did he say? Strong words. He said, on the inside, you're filled with what? Dead man's bones. You see, what's on the outside isn't always, you know, it, it may look good on the outside, but what's going on in the heart? Boy, Jesus really, he really, if you will, is spiritually dissecting us as, as human beings. And what he's saying is what's going on in the inside counts. What's going on in the inside matters. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, he was dealing with a lot of people. As he's speaking, people who were religious people, people who would often tell people, look how holy I am. Do you remember the Pharisees in particular? They would brag about how much they tithed. They would, they, they had the long garments and they looked to be holy. They would pray great, great swelling prayers and they were putting on a show, but on the inside, they were so far from God. And by the way, they were the ones who stirred up the mob to kill Jesus. Are you with me this morning? You see, sometimes there's things going on the inside that you don't see. Yesterday, I had the privilege of, by the way, I washed my hands since then. I had the privilege of fixing our toilet. I know, I know, bear with me. The thing wasn't flushing, and so I would flush, and I'm like, well, you know, I mean, my son likes throwing toilet paper and things down there. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment, but we have a five-year-old son. He has autism, and so... Uh, he just, he loves water, running water. He loves flushing the toilet. Now he likes putting things in the toilet and flushing them. And so almost all the time I'll walk in and there is a roll of toilet paper. Um, I'm going to take stock in toilet paper, by the way. There's a roll of toilet paper, and so i got to fish it out. Well, lo and behold, you know, it looks fine, flush toilet, and it doesn't want to flush. And so I went Brand, you know, we're new to the area, and you don't pack plungers and all of that stuff. I should have. So I went and I bought a plunger. So I'm plunging the toilet. Looks pretty good. Looks like, and it kind of sort of worked a little bit. Flushed kind of worked. All right, we're back. We're back in. We're back in session. You know, here we go. Well, about an hour later, my wife says, it's not flushing. And I said, oh, man. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to do this, but... You know, I went and bought some Drano, like the best stuff they had, like that gel Drano. I dumped that down there and, uh, you know, let it sit for a while. I'm not sure if you're supposed to. If I'm wrong, don't correct me, okay? Just <laughs> let me deal with it, all right? And so I let it sit, flush it, and, uh, and I'm thinking, this is going to work. This is going to, you know, there's something down there. It didn't work. Then I went and bought a snake. And so then I went into the toilet, and I had a snake, and I was... I mean, work and a work and a work and a work. And I'm like, man, this thing just won't, you know. And by the way, this is over like a three-day process of trying one thing after the other after the other. And that means when I wake up in the middle of the night and I have to use the restroom, I have to go find one of the other bathrooms in the house to use. That's inconvenient, you know. And, uh, and so I'm thinking, what is up with this? So yesterday I did what you have to do. Now I'm going to, and so I tried to snake and I thought, well, maybe it's down there. I'm going to pull the toilet. So I pull the toilet, pull it all out, get the snake, and I run it down through, and it's clear. I'm like, okay. I'm, I, I thought I felt something break loose. I think we got it. Put the toilet back on. Put it back together. And I'm like, this is going to work. I can't wait. And when I flush it, immediately it's just full. 
you know, just water, clean water, you know, as clean as it can be. Blessed are the pure in heart. Amen. You know, and so I'm like, this is interesting. This thing's clogging up almost immediately. By the way, I'm starting to learn about these things now. Okay. I'm not an expert. That means there must be something inside the toilet, not way down in the drain. How many of you, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? So now I got to pull the toilet back apart. So I pull the toilet apart, and I'm trying to reach in one end, reach in the other. But if you ever noticed, you may have never looked at this. See, this is your learning today. The toilet thing kind of goes like this. Okay? There's probably lots of reasons. I really don't care why. I really don't want to know why. All right? This is deep stuff. Bear with me. You said we're going to get into the Word. We'll get there in a minute. So I'm like, okay, one hand in here, nothing. I read nothing. Okay? I'm going to take the snake... And have my wife kind of hold the toilet, and I'm going to go up from the other side and see what happens. And sure enough, a big old a thing of dental floss, a big plastic case of dental floss, came out. And so we cleaned it out. We put the toilet back. And when we flushed it, it worked. It was clean. It worked. How awesome is that? Now, on the outside, everything looks great and fine. But can I tell you something? There was something down in there that was hindering the flow. Are you with me? (laughs) My wife texted me this morning while I was in Sunday school because she was getting him ready and getting here. And she says, you didn't lock the bathroom door. There's all kinds of things missing. My contact case is missing. There's things missing. And the toilet won't flush anymore. (laughs) So I have that to go home and work on. And then I found out my daughter from down in her bathroom, we, for two, three days now, we've been saying, her toilet's not flushing. And I'm thinking it's something wrong with Cedar City, you know? Like, man, we, what's wrong with this place? It's not Cedar City. Now, everything looks fine. When you look at the toilet, it looks fine. When you flush it, it looks fine. But there's something down there that's restricting it. Are you with me? Can I tell you something? The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And may I say to you, there are a lot of Christians, a lot of believers who feel distant from God. And what the problem is, is this, although we don't want to admit this, but sin. And when we don't have clean hands and a clean heart, what it does is it separates that fellowship that we have with God. And we may look good on the outside. And everything looks to be in working order and everything looks good and everything looks fine. But may I say to you that many times in our hearts, there is sin that is hindering our fellowship with God. Hinders us from seeing God. Let me give this illustration. And it's going to tie in in a little bit. But sin... Sin has a way of obstructing our spiritual vision. Now that the temperatures are changing, those of you who don't have garages or if maybe your car is not parked under a covering, you'll get frost How many, or frost or ice on your windshield. What happens then? You can't see out. And you always know that one person who's running late, like I saw one the other morning, I could see, I, I pulled out, mine was parked just enough underneath where I didn't have the frost on the windshield, and I pulled up to the stops, and you could tell the person who's running late, because they, they scraped one little spot about this big, 
And they're like, you can see them doing this, you know, trying to see, waiting for the frost to kick in. How many of you have been there, done that? I've done it. I remember not being prepared. I remember back. How many of you remember this? Now, you young people, are, you're going to be like, Pastor Joe, you are old. How many of you remember cassette tapes? You remember a cassette tape? None of you, you don't even know what those cassette tapes are. But those things made handy-dandy windshield scrapers. How many of you have ever done it? You don't have a windshield scraper. I grew up in Pennsylvania, grew up in the cold and ice and snow. And I remember a lot of times not being prepared. And I would pull out one of those old cassette tapes, like the covers, and I would use that. That was great. And how many of you have ever used to listen to those old tapes? Remember? And remember the Walkman we used to wear, how big they were? Those big old Walkman. And after you went for a half a mile jog, your hips like displaced because it was so big. You're running with this big thing. And then when the tape would break, something's wrong that you would cut it and splice it and tape it together. Whoever did this, you know? And then you'd, your music's like, you know, you're like, listen. I remember I would listen to like Rocky, you know, the Rocky soundtrack, you know, and you're listening to it. And you're listening, and all of a sudden it gets to that part. It's like, and then it go right back in, you know? But you can't see out the windshield. You can't see clearly. Many Christians feel distant from God because they've allowed sin in the heart. Look with me at Psalm 24, 3 through 5. Look what the scripture says here. The psalmist David says this. He said, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Notice this. Think about this. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Listen to who he says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. He says, who will stand in the presence of the Lord? Who will go into the holy place? And David is using the analogy of the holy place in the tabernacle, in the holy of holies. And just very briefly, let me just describe this to you. But there's the tabernacle, later the temple, and there was the holy place where God dwelled. And God was there. And the priest would go in. But what did the priest do before he went in? Out into the, in the courtyard, there was what was called a laver. And it was a place where the priest would wash his hands and cleanse himself and wash before he went into the holy place. And before he went into, once a year, into the holy of holies. David is using that symbolism that everyone there in that culture knew is that when you went into the presence of the Lord, you had clean hands and you had a clean heart and you took time to cleanse yourself. May I say this that many times we flippantly just talk to God, but we rarely come to Him and confess and say, Oh, Father, I have sinned against you and I have sinned in my heart, in my life. Let me wash my hands in confession. Notice the words that Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 21 and 22. He says this, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Notice what he says here, flee, run. He says, run. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a what? Say it with me. Pure heart. Is it important to God that our hearts are pure? Absolutely. Listen to the words of Job in Job chapter 1. As you think about 
what God says of Job. This is what God said about Job. Boy, you could study the whole book of Job. Powerful. But what does God say? What was Job's testimony? It says this, Then the Lord, this is what God said to the, to the enemy, to Satan about Job. Then the Lord said to Job, Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one like him on the earth. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and does what? He shuns or he runs from evil. Is it important to God? Absolutely. And then Satan says, Does Job fear God for nothing? And then we know kind of the story that is laid out there. But Job, he saw God. And what I mean by that is he had fellowship with the Father. He had fellowship with God like none other in his day. But why? Because to him a pure heart was important. A clean heart. Many cannot see God because we've allowed, if you will, sin. The best way I can analogy maybe is the idea of that windshield that's covered in frost and you can't see out. Doesn't mean that the objects aren't out, out there, just that you can't see them. My father, I talked with him on the phone last week, and he's like, he says, Man, my eyes, he sees, you know, he's getting up there in years, and he's like, Hey, I, I've got to get cataract surgery. I can't see very good. So he has to go in and get those cataracts taken off of his eyes. Can I say this? A lot of Christians, if you will, have spiritual cataracts. And what are those spiritual cataracts? We've allowed sin to creep into our heart, to obstruct our view. From God, and we say in our own hearts and lives, I feel as though God is so far from me. The Bible, all through Scripture, commands us. It's very interesting. I won't take time, but I'll just give you some references. We're not going to put them up. We're not going to read them. But Psalm 29.2 says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 96.9 says, Worship God in the splendor of holiness. First Chronicles 16.29, he says, Worship Him in the beauty of holiness. Romans 12.1, he says, I beg you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Listen to these words. Holy Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. It is your spiritual act of worship. Do you understand that true worship of God is to live a holy life, set apart, sanctified for Him to be holy? That is our act of worship. (laughs) People will say, well, what's your worship team like? Have you ever considered a lot of churches is all about worship team and the worship team and worship? And by the way, they do an awesome job. Amen? Aren't you thankful for them? And this aspect of worship is huge. It is important. But let's just be honest. Can you just bear with me? Give me like one minute on this topic just for a second. This is another freebie. You ready? Everyone thinks worship is all is music. And, and by the way, that's a part of it. We would agree to that. Amen? That's a part of it. But when you, whenever, if you were to say the word worship, Or if you were to say, hey, we're going to go to a worship conference, what's everyone immediately, what do you you think? Worship conference, what are you thinking? What is it? Music. You know what the Bible says? That holiness is our, one of our greatest acts of worship. Yet, isn't it interesting? It's rarely taught about and preached about. Right? Amen, right? How often do you hear it? How often is it taught? How often is it preached? What I'm saying is by the the mainstream, by your 
televangelists. Yet it's important to God. Now, go with me to Psalm, Psalms 22.1, and we'll put it up here too. Psalms 22.1. And this is going to tie in to what I wanted to say that this passage is so powerful. How many of you agree that God hates sin? Would you agree with that? God hates sin. Absolutely. God hates sin. Listen to the words. David writes his psalm, Psalm 22. Let me tell you something. This passage, powerful. We do not have time to look at all of it. We're only going to look at two little verses out of it. I'd encourage you to read this chapter sometime in your own. Psalm 22. This is a, we call messianic psalm. David writes this psalm, but this is a prophetic psalm. And this is the psalm of Jesus on the cross. Okay? He depicts crucifixion. He talks about, they pierced my hands and my feet. My bones are completely out of joint. My bones stare at me and the suffering that he's going through. In the number of the statements that are made in Psalm 22, Jesus, word for word, says the same thing as he hangs upon the cross. Now, here's something that's just really powerful. Do you understand that when David wrote Psalm 22, it was around seven or 800 years before Rome's basically even in power. Crucifixion was not a form of, uh, uh, was not something that was really created yet. And so he writes about this form of, of death this form of execution that the Romans obviously eventually perfected and the Romans used as a, a cruel way to kill someone, to execute someone, basically to put them through an unbelievable amount of torture and also to deter people from ever wanting to resist Rome. But here's the point. David, David, seven, eight hundred years before crucifixion's even a thing, a thousand years before Jesus hangs on the cross, David in Psalm 22 writes this powerful prophetic psalm. I mean, read it this week. It'll be rich. Read it. Take it in. We don't have time for all of that, but I want you to see the words that David writes in Psalm 22, verse 1 are the same words that Jesus as he hangs upon the cross. Now he says this, my God. Now this is Jesus speaking. This is David writing about this event that's going to happen, prophecy. But then we realize in the Gospels, as Jesus hangs on the cross, what does Jesus say? Let this sink in. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me. Why are you so far from me? Why are you so distant? And so far from my cries. Listen to these words. Of what? Anguish. Jesus as he hung on the cross. All that he went through. You know we immediately. And we could spend a lot of time. Look at the physical suffering. And all that he went through. And all the anguish that Christ went through. Being crucified, the most horrific of deaths. Can I tell you something? There's the physical pain, there's the emotional pain. The emotional pain of being abandoned, being mocked, being scoffed, 
being betrayed by the people closest to you. You say, you, Pastor Joe, I've been betrayed and you don't understand how I feel. Well, he does. But I want you to think about this for a moment. We often forget about the most painful thing that Jesus suffered on the cross, and that is this, the spiritual, the spiritual aspect of his suffering. The scripture tells us that he, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, Jesus Christ being perfect, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Does that ring a bell? The the Bible clearly tells us that the sins of the world, the sins of mankind were placed upon Jesus Christ. And he cries out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because sin was placed upon Jesus Christ. The spiritual implications of what Christ experienced. Do you know one of the next statements Jesus makes on the cross is this? He cried out, I thirst. Let me ask you something. Do you think it was that he was just physically thirsty? Or do you think it was possible, I believe it to be, the spiritual thirst of fellowship with his Father? I thirst. Then the Bible says that this guy... As he cries out, why have you forsaken me? The sky turns black and there's darkness. In the middle of the day from 12 noon till 3 in the afternoon for three hours. By the way, can I just throw this out there? That was not an eclipse. All these people tried to, well, science and it was an eclipse. Have you ever seen an eclipse last for three hours? Well, if that's what it was, then God made everything stop for three hours. Why? What was the darkness? What was that darkness? That the separation between God the Father and the Son. You say, well, Pastor Joe, so far none of this is something, this isn't something new or something, you know, that might contradict what I've heard. And I have to admit, there are times I myself have said this. But I stand corrected by the word of God. And if anything, it makes me love my father so much more. I've even said it myself. I've heard it preached so many times. That God turned his back on his son because God is so holy. And that he could not look upon the sin of Jesus Christ. But then I read Psalm 22, 24. Look at this verse. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not, will you say it with me, hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Do you know I've heard my whole life, and I've actually said it as a pastor, that because God is so holy that he had to turn his back on his own son, and that he could not look upon the sin of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you something? That is not what the Bible tells us. And then you say, well, Pastor Joe, now we have this great dilemma. And Pastor Joe, I can't understand this because then why did Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
But yet later, as we see the end of the psalm, he says that God did not forsake him and that God did not hide his face from him. But I can tell you what did happen is that Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And that every evil thought and evil deed, every jealous thought and every murderous thought was placed upon Jesus Christ. Every abortion ever committed was placed upon Jesus Christ. Every sin of every human being who have ever lived was placed upon Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Every click of the internet, every pornographic view, listen to me, every child molested was placed upon Jesus Christ. Every rape was placed upon Jesus Christ. Every single sin of all humanity was placed upon Jesus Christ. And for the first time, Jesus felt what you and I feel when we sin. Jesus Christ felt guilt and shame, reproach, and and all of these things. He had never felt this before. Can I tell you something? Sin separates us from God. It is when we allow sin to separate us from God, but it is never God who separates himself from us. You say, I don't know if I believe this. It's not Bible. Oh, really? Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned against God. Who was it that hid themselves from God? Was it God that hid his face from Adam and Eve? Oh, no. Aren't you thankful that God, the loving Heavenly Father, he came searching for them. And he said, Adam and Eve, where are you? And he knew exactly where they were. Amen. He said, where are you? Where are you, Adam and Eve? Where are you? I'm searching for you. And when he confronted them and he found them, He said, why did you hide yourselves? And they said, because we're ashamed, because we're naked. He said, how did you know? How did you know that you were? Because we've eaten of the forbidden fruit. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't turn his face against us when we sin against him? Aren't you thankful that God came looking for Adam and Eve? He did not turn his back on them and turn his face on them. No, he pursued them. And provided a way of escape for them. And he took the blood of an innocent animal and he covered them. May I say to you, if you get nothing else today, you should be thankful for the mercy and the grace of God. That he does not turn his back on his people. Amen? And that he loves us. You see, you say, I don't understand between what Jesus said here in the first verse and later. It is this. It is how Jesus felt. It is how he felt because of his sin. Jesus felt as though God had abandoned him, but he didn't because of his guilt, because of the shame that he had never experienced and never will again experience. Thank the Lord. But during that moment of time, he was experiencing what you and I feel that many times when we sin, we feel ashamed and we feel as though God does not love us or he's turned his back. But God has never stopped loving us and he pursues us. We love him because he what? First loved us. The story of the prodigal son. The son who goes out and lives it up. And you know the story, but... Powerful story, lives it up. 
That father every day went out looking, waiting for his son to come back. And what does the son say? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm not worthy. Just let me be a servant. Let me be a slave in your house. I'm not worthy. And the Bible says when the prodigal son came to himself, and he said, I'm not worthy, and the guilt and the shame and the stench of sin all over him, and as he comes back, the father does not turn his back. No, he runs out to meet him. Thank God. Amen. And he restores him. That father loved his son and was waiting for him to return. Waiting. And he embraced him. Let's go all the way back to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. The church of Laodicea. If you were to read Revelation 3.19, he says, You're not what you think you are and you need to, his last words there are, you need to repent. You need to repent. And you know what he says? Revelation 3.20, we all know this verse. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's literally outside the door of the church, knocking, asking if he can come in. If any man speaking to the church will open the door, I will do what? I will come in and have fellowship with him. You see, sin separates. Sin hinders our fellowship with God. Sin is that, that film over our eyes that hinders us from seeing God accurately and correctly and truly seeing God. Do you see why Jesus said, blessed are the what? Pure in heart. What's the promise? For they shall see God. You know, I believe many a Christian misses out on experiencing and seeing God because so many times we've allowed sin into our lives, in our hearts. The scripture simply says this, if we confess our sins, amen, he is faithful and just to what? Cleanse us. He forgives us for our sins and does what? Cleanses us of all unrighteousness. That's what confession is. Confession is simply saying, I acknowledge that I've allowed sin. By the way, it is. It's sin that separates us from God. Okay? But God is not separated from us. Aren't you thankful for that? He is there, but many times we just can't see him. That fellowship is hindered because we've allowed sin to come between us. It obstructs the view between us and God into truly knowing him and experiencing him. And he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and cleanse your hearts. Be pure of heart. The Bible says to worship him in the beauty and the splendor of holiness. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for a loving Heavenly Father who loves us in spite of our sin. Amen? That loves us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. You see, here's, here, here it is, and we're finished, and I have a word of prayer, but it's this. There's so many times we say, oh, God is so distant, and God is mad, and God is angry at me. No, He's not. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He's not mad. He's not angry. He has not turned his face from you. Amen. That's Bible. He has not hidden his face from you. It's how we feel. Because that's the way sin is. That's the way it works. Sin has all kinds of side effects. You know what I'm saying? 
And one of the great side effects, it's not a good thing, but what I'm saying is the huge side effects of sin is guilt and shame, feeling unworthy, and I don't, I don't deserve to be in his presence like the prodigal son. But what he found is this, is that when he returned, the father welcomed him and embraced him, put a ring on his finger, amen, killed the fatted calf, threw a party, gave him a brand new set of clothes. We cannot comprehend the love that God has for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God loves you. Amen? And he will not hide his face from you. But if you feel distant, and if you feel as though God is, is far away, can I tell you something? Jesus felt the same way. The only time Jesus felt that way is when sin was placed upon him. Are you with me this morning? And it hindered him from seeing the Father. But once he cried out, it is finished. Think about these words. He said, it is finished. What does he say? Father, into your hands, commend my spirit. He was reunited with the Father. Amen? For you and I, as we have this life that we have to live, until we're with the Lord for eternity, guess what? Confession, taking a spiritual bath, so to speak, and washing our hands is always going to be a part of the Christian life and should be. Amen? That's one reason why we have communion each month. It's a time to evaluate and to search our hearts. Keep short sin accounts. Does that make sense? Keep short sin accounts. Holiness, listen to me, holiness leads to happiness in the Christian life. You cannot have one without the other. And all God's people said... Amen. Would you stand, have a word of prayer with me? We'll close. We'll have a couple announcements after we have our last song, but let's pray. Lord, we love you.